into In This Corner with the Brian Campbell. This is the Professional Wrestling Edition. Now me, I am Handsome Nick Costos, and I'm feeling good because last week I was finally cleared to work out again by my clown doctor. My clown doctor was taking the last four months to try and figure out what the hell's going on with my shoulder. I'm finally cleared. Back in the gym, clanging and banging, looking good. Of course, I'm doing it with light weights, not the big weights like I like to do, but handsome Nick Costos is back, and you know that he does not rest in peace. He can stay up all night, and you can follow him on Instagram, at the Costos, and he speaks in the third person, because he's a petty, pathetic, insecure little man. And as always, I am joined by my tag team partner, starting with the Czar, the King of Russia. He loves all things Russia including vodka and communism. He is the silver king, Adam Silverstein. <laughs> hey now. And of course, I am also joined by the man whose name is on the marquee. Come on. He is the icon. Let's go. He is the main event. Bring it. He is the showstopper. My man. He is the whole effing show. He is the bod that runs the pod. Stay hyped. He is the mast that guides the cast. Here we go. I'm a little upset, by the way, that one time was not said by you at, at all during this. So okay. I'm going to say one of these things again, and you're going to say one one time, okay? Re- okay, Brian, you ready? No, and I, we're going to keep this in the recording because the, the people like this. He is the mast that guides the cast. One time. And you know his name, damn it. He is the Brian Campbell. Oh, Yeah. Tell them what's on the podcast. Well, Nick, the listeners, they're going to want to do themselves a favor and get some of this. WWE may have mailed in the booking this week, but that didn't stop us from loading up with another big show. Fueled and underwritten by that molten lava, that sauce, if you will, otherwise known as performance-enhancing audio. And let me be frank, I got that hot sauce. Well, so do we. We got a fun sit-down this week with WWE Hall of Famer Jim Ross on his new book, Slobberknocker, his relationship with Vince McMahon then versus now, and to settle a little debate we once had on this show with Nick, Jim Ross will tell us exactly when WCW was a better product than WWE slash F. Talk about a man who would know from experience, dude. We also break down the week that was in WWE and further discuss regarding this here revolution we speak of is this real is it happening already what needs to happen next is the silver king angry what's going on here who's jumping on board we're gonna get to all that and then some short dark and handsome let me hand the mic back to a typically well tanned greek the most passionate man in north america ladies oh you know him well oh nasty nick costos Yes, I have also, I've often been described in the past as short, dark, and handsome. All, th- all three of those things are absolutely true. Great intro, as always, by the Victor Conti, the cousin Yuri, the King Balco, the first of our performance-enhancing audio, the man whose name is on the marquee, the Brian Campbell. Guys, as always, we begin, you know how we do it, with the main event. This is the main event! Um, so, Finn Balor. <laughs> oh, man. Vince McMahon, he listened to what you two had to say last week, and he said, you know how I feel about that? I don't give a damn. All that underjuice, it's going down the drain. That's what we're doing with the underjuice. So Vince McMahon takes the fan replies. He listens to Finn Balor 
on Twitter. He sees what Finn tweeted, right? All these cryptic tweets that Finn's sending out in regarding the fact that the report's coming out that Finn is not over. Finn changes his Twitter name to Finn forever within forever. All the letters um, in lowercase except for O-V-E-R. Really, really fun stuff there. Really clever from Finn Balor. WWE ran a poll asking fans who Brock Lesnar should face next. Finn Balor won first place by a mile, 64% of the vote. And Sports Illustrated reporting that Finn never even in the mix, though, despite all of this for the Royal Rumble match against Brock Lesnar. It's really unbelievable because, quote, McMahon sees Balor as bland when not portraying the demon character. There's so much going on here. And then on Monday Night Raw, what did we see happen? Finn Balor squashed by Kane. Glenn Jacobs partying like it's 1999. Because, damn it, that's got to be, that's got to be Kane. That's got to be, that's got to be Kane. That's got to be Kane. So, so yeah, we'll did Prince just roll over moment. in his grave? Oh, my God. What are they we'll, doing, Nick? What are they doing? Are you kidding we'll, me? Yes, we will get into the Braun Strowman part of this. We will get into the Jason Jordan part of this. But, Bri, the floor is yours. Finn Balor on Monday night coming out and serving as the sacrificial lamb yet again to Knox County mayoral candidate, Glenn Jacobs. Look, I don't even care that it was in Knoxville, which which explains this particular episode of Kane's Revival a lot better than it explains the past month. And I'm not going to ad nauseum for like the eighth week in a row give you the reasoning why 50-year-old Kane in 2017 should not be in this place. I used a term the past few weeks called troll booking, which is what WWE likes to do. We are so far past the level now of troll booking where it doesn't make sense. Even every protective indie insider in the business expert on their own podcast, all they can do now is join with us and shake our head and be like, what the heck is going on here? So you got to look a little bit deeper, right? A little bit deeper past the ridiculousness of Kane, the absurdity of Finn coming right off of that AJ Styles match going through a stretch like this. And just say, like, is this just one big troll job? Is this just Vince McMahon, like, laughing it up from his iPad going like this? You all bought it. You all bought it. Hook, line, and sinker. You all bought it. Because it's so ridiculous at this point, And we're going to touch on every, we're going to unwrap this onion and, and peel it and really get into it and cry, probably cry a little bit, which is apropos. But just a part of the absolute trolling. It's such trolling booking, Nick, that I'm wondering if Finn is actually in on this. Like, is it really at that level where Vince just loves this type of stuff so much that he's in Finn? By the way, to be honest, Finn is tr- Finn's a little bit of a, a fun troller himself on social media. He's not above something like this. Is this so ridiculous at po- this point that Finn, that Vince is just like, I love poking these people, and he's just, you know, at the end of the road, he's going to... It's me, Austin! Oh, son of a bitch! What? It's me, Austin! It was me all along! Because that's the only way that might explain this to me, Nick. I mean, I could get, scream up and down how absurd this is, how you're destroying the character Finn... But it just feels so stupid now that it feels like Vince is half just trying to mess with us and half going, you know what, they're going to be there at the end of the road anyway when I make them happy and give them a portion of what they wanted from the beginning. So who really cares?
I think you're you're looking way too far into this. I don't think Vince McMahon thinks about any of those things. I think Vince McMahon thinks I don't think Finn Balor is over. This is what I'm going to do, and that's the end of it. Wait, I are you think, hold on? Are you saying that trying to throw people? I don't think he cares about that. Are you saying that Finn doesn't have it? Is that what you're saying? I, I am. I, I you know that I said that last week. Look, that doesn't mean that I think Finn Balor should be buried, or that I don't think there's a usage for Finn Balor. I'm just saying I don't think that he should be Universal Champion or be at the top of the card. And I don't think that's a real hot take to say that. Okay, you so guys disagree. If you believe that, then okay, and that might be that that might be the case. Then do you believe what we saw this week was literal in your face punishment? For, for Finn sending those tweets over the holiday weekend. He sent plenty of them, and they were on point. They were funny. They were right on. He sent a picture of him doing that, that bend back thing that he does on the ring apron during his entrance music when the whole crowd's doing it with him, just trying to be like, are you kidding me? I'm not over. Look at this. Do you think then this week to go back to the well one more time when it looked like Finn was going to get his predictable comeuppance against Kane? Oh, no, he didn't. Did you think that this was Vince saying, don't mess with us. We know what we're doing. You're just an employee. I, 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 I don't, and I'll tell you why. Because I think that if that were the case, Kane would have gone over in the match. Like Kane would have pinned him one, two, three, and it would have squashed him. This was a DQ finish. Like Kane beat him with a steel chair. Like He didn't pin him in the middle of the ring like like he did one the last time that they fought, You know, one, two, three, in the squash with the choke slam. So, so no, I, I don't think so. And I think that the only reason they did that is because Vince is probably like, we need a top-level baby face for Kane to beat down so Braun Strowman can come out and make the hero return and make the save. And I don't think it was anything more than that. I think you're looking too much into it. I don't think Vince McMahon cares what anybody thinks. I don't think Vince McMahon says, I'm going to troll the fans, because I don't think Vince McMahon cares what the fans think in the first place, which is a separate issue probably for another time. I just think that, that that's what he thought. He wanted Finn Balor. He, Finn Balor was the sacrificial lamb so that Braun Strowman could make the baby face save. And honestly, I don't think it's anything more than that. And I think it shows you that Vince values Braun Strowman more as a baby face, clearly, than he does Finn Balor. Period. End of story. Yeah, uh, it's just, it's such a sad reality on so many fronts. And a lot of it has to do with that whole idea of troll booking. And here's, here's the sad reality of where we're at here. If you're Vince McMahon and the creative staff and you're sitting there and you're going, look, there's a lot of time before the next round of pay-per-views, and we're going to touch on the whole schedule coming up, but there's a lot of time. We got TV to fill. If I roll out there and do what the fans want me to do, which is if I have to shine up Kane, why, instead of having Finn Balor job to him, why doesn't Apollo Crews or anyone else on that level do it? Maybe this is what Vince is thinking. Maybe he's thinking, if I put Apollo Crews out there and let Kane bury him, nobody's going to be talking about this the rest of the week. But if I put Finn Balor out there, your shiny, pretty toy, Smart Mark Indie Wrestling fans, you will be talking about this in every recap, in every podcast, on every social media tweet about how angry you are and you can't believe that we're doing this. And guess what? You'll be talking about me. And that's all that matters in the end. That's starting to feel like that's more of the reality of where we're at. And that's a sad reality because that's Troll Booking 101 where you alienate your fan base, where you just, you can't build new fans this way. What you're saying is our fans are so beaten down and addicted to this thing that they're going to be there anyway. But guess what? You can't get, it's like, Nick, I, I cover boxing. I love boxing. Once or twice every couple of years, friends of mine that don't like boxing will get sucked in. They'll watch one good fight. And they're like, all right, is there a good fight this weekend? Let's watch another. Inevitably, every single time, Nick, they go, after two weeks, they go, all right, I'm out of this, right? Why don't the best fight the best? Why doesn't this guy fight on this network? Why does it all crap all the time in between these big fights? That's what WWE booking is like in between these big main events now. And if you're somebody who was casual or a lapsed fan and you get back in, inevitably you go, with all the stars on this roster, why are they not giving us good stuff? Why does it? Why is it like this? 
it's just such troll predictable tired lazy crap which is why people like me sit here and, and scream and go start the revolution already let's make competition force wwe's hand silver king your take man there's a lot to unpack um i think there's something to be said for why is finn balor in that spot on monday night when he's already been squashed by kane so if you're not going to have him get over or get his comeuppance there, what's the point of having him in that spot, him in particular, if not to either fuel into the marks or the smarks online um, or to at least punish him? One, it's one of two things. Well, I mean, I, I just told you why I think it's the case, because he need, they needed someone to, for Kane to beat down so Braun could come out and make but, the save. That's why he was there. But here's the thing. They've already done that with Finn Balor. Finn, Finn Balor's already been beaten down by him. Kane's already beaten down Dean Ambrose. He's yes. already beaten down Seth Rollins. I think part of the problem and one of the reasons that Finn Balor has been slid into this slot is because of the viral meningitis or mumps or all, whatever happened totally screwed up their booking. He's not going to feud with Bray Wyatt. There's not a lot of high mid-card baby faces on that roster that are either not in the shield or are not Braun Strowman. So who else is he going to go with? He's not going to feed him Samoa Joe. He's not going to give him the Miz. He's not going to give him. You just answered your own question then, buddy, right? Exactly. So, so I think there, this is, he, I think Finn Balor is a victim of circumstance in some regards and a victim of Vince McMahon trolling in, uh, in other regards. Vince I don't, is not trolling, guys. He's I trolling. Don't, I mean, come on. I don't think it's an absolution one way or another here. And we'll get to that later too. Hey, that was actually, actually that was random. Wow. Um, but point being, I don't, I don't think it's, it's definitive one way or another which way it is. What I will tell you, though, is this. They are consistently wasting one of the best performers on this roster. And if you want to talk about is someone getting over, to me, that has to do with crowd reaction. And Finn Balor, unlike someone else who we're going to talk about coming up pretty soon, is over every single time his music hits and every single time he goes to the ring, every single time he does that uh, falling drop kick, which he did six times to Kane, looked amazing. And then he gets beat down with a chair. And the fans are like, well. So Adam is saying essentially that, that Finn has. It. I mean, he's, it's, it's true, Nick. I mean, he's got it. And I wanted to sort of make a, no, he a, 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 a apt comparison of what this feels like when you're watching this. And it, it, it's almost like you're I – don't, I don't have the you – know, this is the only thing I could basically say what this felt like. Let me see. How would you say it? It's kind of like – one more nail in Katie Vick's coffin. Ooh. I mean, look, it's tasteless and it's and it's and it's ill-timed. But I wanted to say we felt like children of like parents that only care about work and they're they're absent throughout the whole year. But then at the end of the year, guys, we can put up with their abuse and them not being there because they really come through at Christmas time and give us what we want. And that's what we're kind of like with WWE fans where we know, heck, if we just hold on, we'll get around to the Rumble and the Mania and we'll get what we want. So what about this? But so what? No, there's too much competition and entertainment to, that you can't act like this anymore. There's not three channels on TV anymore, right? And people are going to sit there and watch it anyway. So I don't feel like a disregarded kid anymore. I'm starting to feel like Katie Vick as a fan, and that's ridiculous, but I'm starting to feel banged up and used and dead. Speaking of mailing Katie Vick. And speaking of it, I'm starting to feel like that, and I know that's a fun comparison because Kane is involved, but it's like, what the heck's going on here? Honestly, I'm going to listen. Who cares about what they did with Finn Balor on Monday night? Because you know what? I don't. I'm being honest with you. I don't care about what they do with Finn Balor. I think Finn Balor is a good talent. I think he's a good worker. I think he obviously deserves a spot toward the top of the card. I don't think he's a main eventer, and I don't think he has 
it. So, so no, I, I, I don't care. My bigger problem on Monday night and your guys' bigger problem with Monday night, and this is where the whole thing is so ass backwards right now with you two and a lot of the fans out there on Twitter and otherwise in the IWC. Your problem should not be with what they're doing with Finn Balor. Your problem should be what they're doing with Braun Strowman because Braun Strowman has it and Finn Balor doesn't have it. And you know what they did with Braun Strowman? They're sending him out there every week to die a slow death out there with Kane because no one cares about Kane. I said it last week. You know what we want to see Braun Strowman do? Beat the crap out of people in electrifying fashion. Put them through tables. Get the crowd standing up. Not these slow, methodical beatdowns that heels normally perform. Not baby faces. Like, that was out, an atrocious close to Raw with Kane holding his throat for three minutes, uh, walking out there. The crowd was dead. Braun does his big thing where he raises his arms and screams. The crowd has no reaction. They killed Braun at no mercy by jobbing him to Brock Lesnar. They're doing Braun Strowman no favors right now in this program with Kane. You two are part of the problem because we're sitting up here screaming about Finn Balor. Who cares about Finn Balor? They're killing Braun Strowman, and Braun Strowman's far more important than Finn Balor is. You got, you got to stop. You, you got to stop. I mean, come on, Nick. I mean, look, try, try, you, you're Who's almost getting corporate level. I mean, you're not wrong on the Braun Strowman thing, but you're almost getting corporate level spinning it back on us as like Mark's yes, caught in. It's, it's, it's the fact. Who cares about no. Finn Balor when Braun Strowman is, is more important than Finn and they're screwing up Braun Strowman's? I'm so, killing WWE for it. So, Brian, I'm actually going to agree with Nick here because as important as Finn Balor is to us as a wrestler, as a professional wrestler, as a guy who we like to watch, what they have done to Braun Strowman is exponentially worse. They took a guy who, as Nick said, was the most over guy on the roster, and they said, he can eat an F5. He'll be okay. No, that, that's not what happened. He's not okay. And having him in a program with Kane is ruining him when you have someone who is now entering a program with Roman Reigns and Samoa Joe, who Braun Strowman could do a three-month program with. That would be perfect. And it, it goes back to WWE's booking issues. Nick's right here. As much as we hate the Finn Balor situation and what's going on, Braun Strowman, they're ruining him. I mean, at least he's getting. I mean, look, it's this is really like waste of time to compare wounds. Basically, we're saying, well, no, my, no, that insult from from dad hurt me more than hurt you. I mean, look, they all suck. I mean, Kane is basically getting watered down when they basically, like you said, had Kane at babyface level. He should be feuding against the Authority, the Machine, Triple H. He shouldn't be feuding against Kane. But what this is all sort of joining together is just really. As a guy who's trying to be hardcore for both my job and my passion, I have years of pulling out of the business. All right, I, the business, not just pulling out. That that'd be a that'd be a whole different, you know. Yeah, I mean that'd be a whole different situation. I'm talking about years of pulling. You have two kids, but yeah. Yeah, I have years of pulling out of the business because of things like this when it goes on for too long, and it's like, and again, it just leaves you mad. And like, I have a certain amount of hours in my day and week. Why do I have to be like this? And I've got people in my DMs. I've got people adding me on Twitter. It's some dude at me going, how could you be that mad at Kane? Did you hear the crowd? Like, first of all, that dude's never tweet at me again. I'm just saying, overall, I'm one of your hardcore guys who you brought back in. Don't make me do this. I know that over uh, the last several months, I've lost a lot of things, and one of them has been my smile. And guess what? 
so have I, by the way. So have I. And I'm not saying I'm done. And I know you've heard this rant from me, oh everyone. God. But come on, like, stop this you're like, crap. You're, you're, you're like a freaking, like, you're like an emotional teenager, Bri. I mean, let, like, oh, oh, like, one week you're fired up about the revolution and the next week you're losing your smile. I mean, Nick, this crap, brother. this crap has got to stop. Stop that crap. Stop it. Stop it. I, right? Come on. I mean, but, but this is what, like you said, like, this is what WWE does. And, like, this is where, like, like you guys are not seeing the forest through the trees here. Like, the Finn Balor thing is irrevel- irrelevant compared to the Braun Strowman thing. And the problem, ultimately, with Braun Strowman is that Braun Strowman cannot be on Monday Night Raw. Why? Because Brock Lesnar's on Monday Night Raw. And Silver King, here's where I'm going to kind of disagree with something you said. You said you put Braun Strowman in a three-month program with Samoa Joe or whomever, and it's going to be great. Braun Strowman should not be in a three-month program with anybody. What Braun Strowman should be is in a series of one-month, six-week programs where he beats the person convincingly. That's what Braun Strowman can do. And you know where you can't do that? On Raw, where Brock Lesnar is the number one guy. So this is the inherent flaw. The fly in the ointment is that both Braun and Brock are on Monday Night Raw. And by the way, so is Roman Reigns. So Braun Strowman cannot be the guy that you need him to be because you've got two guys that you're already protecting to that level on the same show. Who cares about Finn Balor when Braun Strowman is is getting the shaft like he is? First of all, you talk about absentee fathers. Brock Lesnar's there once every eight weeks. Okay, so let's not act like Brock Lesnar is there preventing Braun Strowman from getting put over by other guys. But it's not Brock Lesnar that's preventing it. It's the fact that Brock Lesnar's there and that it's not Brock Lesnar himself. It's Vince McMahon with Brock Lesnar. So I don't want to kill Brock personally for it. It's their decision with Brock, the way they book him. But if if they never had that Brock Lesnar-Braun Strowman match and they saved it, let's say, to to Royal Rumble, and he didn't get over him with one F5, it was three and they finally took him down, then you're talking about something that they were able to build to where Braun Strowman's going through this run of dominance, just like, you know, and Roman Reigns is the IC title. Maybe they have to meet again for the chance to face Lesnar or after the fact. My point is, like, everything they've done with the main, and Nick, you say this almost every single week, everything is being done with Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns in the main event of WrestleMania 34 with Roman Reigns kicking out out of an F5 and beating him. That's the end result to all of this. And what WWE's biggest problem is, is that they're so concerned about getting there that everything else to that is a wasteland. Yes. They were onto something at SummerSlam. That match that you guys saw was incredible. The entire Roman Reigns, uh, Braun Strowman feud, while a couple times it was a little crazy, like, you know, Roman Reigns tried to kill him, you know, and he came back in two weeks, but it was still fire. The crowd was absolutely insane for both of them. They ended it with one single F5. I mean, from there, it's all been screwed up. All right. Silver King's on, on point with what he's saying here. But, Nick, here's ultimately the answer. Because you're going to keep going back to this core and keep putting your hand back in my wounded feel hole and turning it. And you're going to say, in the end, the bottom line is why are we caring more about Finn than Braun Strowman? And I'll give you your answer right now. And it may be unpopular. You may not like it. Because Strowman is a monster. And even though he has potential to be even hyperbolic statements like the greatest big man ever, the greatest monster ever, all of that. And even though he is technically kind of a baby face right now, monsters in the end have a ceiling. And their ceiling is B-side. Even the great Undertaker, even the great Kane, they're B-sides, they're opponents. And in the end, Finn has 
A side potential in the long run. So that's why this gets Smart Mark fans so passionate because Kane, I'm sorry, Finn in the end is a leading man, where Braun in the end is a supporting actor. Dude, it's a, not like they're burying AJ Styles or Kenny Omega. It's Finn Balor. But Finn Balor is on. Finn Balor is not. A, like, it's not AJ Styles, it's Finn Balor. No, you I'm just sorry. said it. He is. He's in that category. He's not as good he's as AJ, in but he's category. in. That's what I'm saying. He is in. He is in that category. I mean, it's the bottom line. He's a leading man. That's why we care so much. But Vince, no, he's, he's bored. Not. And I disagree with that. He's not a leading man. If it were AJ Styles, I would be at the top of the mountain next to you guys screaming about it. It's not. So, he's so I'm gonna... not. I'm going to say Nikki has it. He does. I'm sorry. So I'm going to say one thing. We asked our, our listeners to hit us up at in this corner CBS on Twitter and let us know whether they agreed with Nick that Finn Balor has it or whether they BC agreed with you and I who said Nick's crazy. He's out of his mind, right? The responses to Nick's credit, they were not all for Nick, not even close. But I they were sick. Excuse me. I got, we can go and we can look. I got Can I finish a lot what I'm saying? The people agreeing with me as opposed to the other side. How about I finish? How about I finish what I'm saying? But they. But, but, but I, I, I've got a ton of tweets with people saying that they agree with what I said. A ton. Okay. Now I can finish what I was saying. But they were 60-40, 65-35 on Nick's side, agreeing that while Finn Balor is great and exciting in the ring, he does not have it. Now I'm still going to disagree with that. That doesn't change my opinion. Because I think what's being lost with Finn Balor in his WWE run, especially coming out of NXT, where unquestionably he had it in NXT. I, I know, Nick, you may not have seen him that much, but BC, there's no doubt. Like, we, we can take Nick's argument here, but we could, cannot take it, what he had in NXT and also in New Japan. <laughs> this character that they are giving him right now, and I think BC, you said it last week, it's ruining the potential for him to have it, for him to be that A-side. The booking they're, they're doing with him is ruining that potential. But at the base core, the athleticism, the ability on the mic when he's not a pure babyface, he has the ability to have it, to be the A-side, and they are not capitalizing well, on it right now. Well, here's the end product. Brands. The disappointing end product is they're probably going to end up putting Finn in the Royal Rumble main event when it's all said and done because they got us talking this much about it and the buzz is swirling, and that's probably why Finn jobbed out this week. They probably came to him and said, all right, look, here's the situation. All right, you got to finish this out. We're going to mess with the crowd. You're going to mess with them on social media. You're still going to get the match in the end. Like, this may have become an issue when it wasn't originally, and it may have forced Vince's hand, which I, it's almost such a it's such a partial victory in the end that I don't even want it, right? It's like this taint. No, you should. You should, because what could happen there? Because, look, if they indeed go with Finn Balor and Brock Lesnar, he's going to get Finn squashed. Balor's going to get, he's going to get a massive reaction, and we're yep. going to be into it. And then I may have to come back after the fact and say, you know what? I was wrong, and I acknowledge that that possibility exists. So you should be rooting for that to happen, as it concerns Balor and Brock Lesnar. I don't want Rumble. tainted gifts. I don't want gifts that I gotta like whine and cry for. Like, look, unpopular statement about to be made. Daniel Bryan, WrestleMania 30. It was awesome. Yes, yes, yes. Part of it though was not awesome because it should have happened without us having to agonize through that. God, to you're get like there. a 39 year old millennial. It's unbelievable, dude. Nick, to like, be a pro wrestling, do you realize the product that we're seeing? To be a pro wrestling fan in your late 30s, something's got to be wrong with you. Do you realize what we're watching? Men in no, underwear I, acting. I don't agree with that. And I think by and large, I, en I enjoy professional. Like, I had that one stretch. I, don't, I forget when it was. Maybe it was um, like in that. I think it was probably like early in the gender title reign when I was like, what the hell am I watching? I don't think the product's been that atrocious recently. I really don't. 
Like the Survivor Series main event was brutal, but the card was pretty good. The TLC main event was brutal, but the card was pretty good. I enjoy some of the stuff that we're seeing. And look, maybe some of that is because I'm not watching it live and I'm fast forwarding through some of the dreck, like the cruiserweight crap. But I mean, I fast forwarded through the fashion files. That was fun on SmackDown. I didn't watch it, I'll admit. I don't think the product's that bad. And also look, if WWE is not doing it for you, there's New Japan, there's Ring of Honor, the Revolution. Like, bro, you're talking out of both sides Dude, of your mouth. One week you're excited about all of this that's going on. The next week, you're chicken little. The sky's falling. Look at Nick. Which one is it, Nick's Brian basically Campbell? like, who are we to judge? If this whole thing doesn't bother Katie Vick, then really, who are we to judge? I mean, maybe Nick's right. I don't hear any complaints from Katie no, Vick, so that's, you know. No, no. No, because you can be as excited about the quote unquote non-existent revolution as you might as you might want to be. But Nick's point is 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 king here. WWE is the star is the star. I'm going to start that over. WWE is the straw that stirs the drink. It always has been. It always will be. And if the WWE product is not at least a B on a on a grading scale then we have a problem in professional wrestling no matter yes. what anyone else is doing. Yes, he's back. The Silver King is back, Nick. He just brought he just brought the gold right there. You know, I, I don't think WWE's been that awful recently. I disagree with a lot of the stuff that's been done. For me, I think it's been okay. And um, like I said, I think the, the Finn Balor stuff is so overblown at this point. Like, fine, put him in the main event against Brock Lesnar. The match will be good. He's going to bump like crazy. He's going to make Brock look great, and he's going to job to an F5. Fine. My point is still that we are spending so much freaking time on Finn Balor when what we should be talking about is Brock Lesnar. Or, excuse me, is Braun Strowman. <laughs> and how they and how they buried Braun Strowman. See, that's how much they've conditioned me. Like, WWE, I'm now a WWE bot talking about Brock Lesnar all the time. Not only did he it not should win, be, I thought that he lost it. Yes, of course. One of my many verbal faux-pas here on the, uh, on the In This Campbell podcast with Brian Corner. It should be <laughs> Braun, Stro uh, Braun Strowman that we're talking about, not Finn Balor. And by the way... Kind of lost in all of this. How about my guy, Jason Jordan on Raw, in that match with Kane, doing more outstanding mic work, more outstanding selling, more playing the crowd like an absolute fiddle. You know why? Because Jason Jordan's got it. it. But, the, but again, quickly, because we got to get out of this, but quickly, they, they didn't bury him personally, but they buried the potential effectiveness of his storyline by pouring red paint all over it like it was the shower scene in Katie. And that red paint, I'm sorry, was, it's got to be, it's got to be a 50-year-old man. Stop it. No, way, see, that, that I disagree with. It's completely irrelevant. Like, you need that to build the storyline. Like, the Jason Jordan continuing to sell the knee injury. It was a necessary. Like, that's part of the storyline. I don't want the teeth. Look. Don't tease the bag. You're going to get the mess. They constantly tease me that we're going somewhere with Jason Jordan, and then they pull back. Don't do that. No, They're working you. Yeah, we're going somewhere with Jason Jordan. Every single week's building to it. Nick's right. But, Nick, I'm not letting you get away with calling Jason Jordan your boy because one to two weeks before you started your love affair with him, I was already on board. So at least he's our boy. Oh, you got to share him. Now. Who, who do you like more, Silver King, Jason Jordan or Finn Balor? Eh, Finn Balor. Good, great. He's my guy because I like Jason Jordan better <laughs> than Finn Balor. All right, let's move on. To, unless we want to talk more about Jason Jordan, who I think is an absolute star. We can probably move on at this point because I said what I needed to say last week. Second part of our main event. How about Roman Reigns, guys? For the first time in a long-ass time, he got real legit baby face cheers. Got the You Deserve It chant on Raw when he came out with the icy belt. We want Roman chants throughout the show. Uh, got attacked by Samoa Joe after he beat Elias Sampson. Pretty good match, Roman and Elias. I thought Elias was pretty impressive. And uh, so it looks like we're going to get Roman against Joe and Roman Reigns. Did the experiment work? Is Roman now over as a babyface even without 
Seth Rollins and Dean Ambrose by his side. Yeah, the dirty little secret here is that we're ripping Raw because of the Kane thing at the end, but there was a lot of good stuff underneath the hood here on Raw. This was one of them, not just the spinoff to Samoa Joe, which I thought is where we were going this summer before Samoa Joe's injury. Remember when Reigns and Joe heading into SummerSlam had some really juicy face-offs. Nice surprise here to go that direction. The real story is Roman's first day as IC champion. Now, look, it was a weird crowd in Knoxville, and uh, people have gone out of their way. Uh, you know, Jonathan Coachman has said that was historically always one of their worst crowds, if not their outright worst. But even within that weird crowd, man, I have to say I was, I'll say pleasantly, pleasantly surprised at how much this shield experiment and this ultimate, we're back to ultimate pure baby face IC champion reigns experiment is working to get a, you deserve it. And to have Elias stretch out the heat during that lengthy guitar segment where the Mistrash, shout out to what they did on work with by faking the uh, harmonica playing, which is fantastic. There was a lot of stretching out of time on this episode to fill time, and they did that, and we got a We Want Roman chant. To me, that was even more surprising than You Deserve It. And how about Roman after You Deserve It basically thanking the crowd? That felt genuine. That felt real. It points back to you, Nick Costos. This experiment seems to be real and it seems to be working. Um, yeah, I think that you you said it there. Um I don't know how the hell it happened, but it appears to have happened. And there were still a contingent of fans booing Roman Reigns, but let's be clear. They were the vocal minority on Monday Night Raw. Um, I, I think it's going to be fascinating, right, when WrestleMania comes along and the Royal Rumble and then the whole build to WrestleMania and to see how Reigns is going to get treated once it's clear that it's Reigns against Brock Lesnar. Because remember, three years ago in the build to WrestleMania 31, Paul Heyman did everything in his power to get Roman Reigns over, and it didn't work. WWE did everything in its power to try and get Roman Reigns over, including having The Rock come out after Reigns won the Royal Rumble in Philly, I believe, right? And Reigns was still booed out of the building, even with Dwayne Johnson standing next to him. So I'm fascinated to see. I don't think it's over yet, and, I, and, I, and no pun intended there. I don't think it's official that Roman Reigns is a true babyface now and will be treated as such by the fans. So I'm fascinated to see how it turns out. But for right now, I don't think there's any question about it. Dude's a baby face, so and I think you, it's pretty cool. You said something really interesting there. It's what happens next. Now, uh, they got an opportunity to cement this at Royal Rumble. They also have an opportunity to shoot themselves in the foot if they try to be too ambitious. And I say this because the Rumble is in Philadelphia this year, the scene of the crime Right? Was it 2015 when Roman got booed out of the building with with yep. the Rock and everything you mentioned? Are they going to overplay their hand and think that they are too far ahead in this process? Try to let him either win it or have some type of front-facing babyface moment, and then have the crowd double double cross them? Have the crowd basically be like, you all it. and not Vince to do the reversal on him? Any chance we're going there? Any chance they they could make that mistake? Step in that pothole? I, I don't see any way you can let Roman Reigns win the Royal Rumble. You can't set him up for potential failure that way. I think what I said last week, I think he's going to keep this intercontinental title for a while. I think he may take it to WrestleMania, and I don't think you put him in that Royal Rumble match. I think there's enough challengers for him on that roster. But outside and of also, that, by the way, worth noting, Silver King, Elimination so, Chamber, a Raw pay-per-view, so you could easily book Roman Reigns in a match to win the title match at Elimination Chamber as opposed to win the Royal Rumble. That's a great point, and you know what? He'd probably that's a stronger win, I think, than the Royal Rumble. I think winning out an elimination chamber, eliminating some of those really big guys, getting Balor and Joe and whoever else is in that match out, I think that'd be really strong for him. I want to turn down the temperature a little bit on the chance. 
Monday night on Raw. Because BC, you and I were watching it live together, chatting on DM. There, it was not as negative as it has been in the past. There's no question. The boos were not there. He was not getting, you know, you know, booed out of the building or anything like that. But the chance that he did get, the we want Roman, the, especially the you deserve it, they were muted. It was, it was not a majority of the crowd. It was not the same you deserve it chance that Bray Wyatt got when he won the WWE title, you know, on February on SmackDown. Not the same ones that Naomi got when she won the SmackDown women's title. It was a muted you deserve it. Again, the crowd in Knoxville is really weird. I'm curious what's going to happen this upcoming week on Raw. But more than anything else, I do not think Roman Reigns should be headed to the ring by himself, even if it's a singles promo or any case like that, without either the Shield music coming out of the crowd or without the Shield members with him. He is not over enough yet. They have not repaired him enough for him to be going out there on his own with his theme music coming out of the Titan Tron area from the uh, stage. I mean, I think he needs full Shield support for a good while longer until he until they can be confident enough because that reaction BC he did not get the reaction that I think Daniel you test Ryan the water distracted. they tested I, I get it that's a fair point but they tested the water and I think they passed the test by coming out alone and I think they did something else Adam by having him actually have the moment with Rollins afterwards where he called out the open challenge, right? Elias answered it with the Miztourage, and that was over. As Roman's walking back up the ramp, and I'm interested, Nick, to see if you caught this tease, Seth's music hits, and Roman makes a face at that. And Seth comes out, and for a second, I got Mega Powers feels. I got a, whoa, are they, are they planting that seed that eventually this is going to break? Roman kind of looked at him weird, then smiled, then they fist-pumped, and it was okay. I call it Mega Powers Feels, and they certainly seem to double down on that during Rollins' interview with Charlie Caruso later, where he was basically fighting her off, saying, no, there's no problem with the Shield. We're fine if Roman has a title. Uh, this is, I think, how you can, if you're WWE, can really make this work. If you can keep teasing that, I think it's only going to add to Roman's sort of overness as a pure babyface. And by the way, story for another time here, because we've got to move on, but... Seth Rollins, can we turn this guy heel already, please? Like, his babyface shtick on the mic, I don't think works. They haven't done a good enough job putting over his new finisher, which is like the Rainmaker, except it's a knee to the face. He stole that from someone in New Japan. I'm sure someone will tweet me about it. Who did he steal it from? Kenny Omega. No, 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 it's Okada. Someone actually does that same move, though. Well, Kenny Omega does it. I mean, Okada triggers it. He stole the trigger from Okada, basically, right? I mean... It's the rain trigger. It's, I mean, right? Isn't that what it is? It's Kenny Omega's I, knee and Okada triggering it by spinning no, but you I, around. No, but I think someone does that exact move. Not like, not like the combination of both. Anyway, I, I could be wrong about but that. Nick, Maybe Nick, don't, right. don't but Nick, don't fast forward, though. Are you, are you getting any potential Mega Powers feels? Are you feeling that they're already setting the, the, well, the I mean, foundation? It's, it's, well, I mean, it, it's, it, well, I mean, let's, let's talk about logic here, right? Logic would dictate that either the Shield's going to stay together forever or they're going to break up right, Okay, well, don't, don't, right? be, don't be macro. Go micro. Are you feeling that it... Are you, do you care? Does it get you fired up or is it just sort of like, yeah, whatever? Um, At this point, it's yeah, whatever for me. Right. And I'm not trying to rain on your parade or say that you're wrong. I just didn't get that sense. But then again, I'm watching it in fast... Like I work in, I work later and I get home and I'm watching it on DVR. I did not, not necessarily get that feel. It doesn't mean that you're wrong. I just didn't feel that way. And look, maybe people are listening and are like, Nick, you're nuts. Like, we all felt that way. I, I don't know. I didn't feel it. Adam, did you feel that way? Not really. I, I understand where BC's coming from. I don't think they're breaking up anytime soon. I, I don't think they've barely been together. Well, I'm not so, saying it has so to happen. Tease it. I'm but saying. You say, but you talk about teasing the bag, right? Yeah. To even start teasing it now, 
is way too too early. But to with- tell a really good story, you have to tell it over time. And I always say the Mega Powers is the sure. greatest story ever told in wrestling, and that had so many of these moments. Yes, different era, different time. I'm maybe giving them too much credit that they're already starting it, but it felt like they were already starting it. Well, you're right, because we, we, we've been complaining for about a month now that they need to start planting seeds for long-developing storylines. And if this is the beginning of that, then I'll retract my statement on there. But I still think it's going to be Ambrose who turns. So those two kind of having that moment didn't really mean much to me. Yeah, and by the way, I mean, I, I mean, I, I think Ambrose is a fine worker. He's a good, decent performer. Um, they tried to get a pop for him. I talked about his honeymoon with Renee Young, and the crowd was quiet. Uh, maybe that's more of a function of the crowd, where being where it was, as you guys said, but... I don't know. I just don't think that's why he's as Silver King has made the prediction. And let's put this one in uh, in stone. Silver King might be right. He says when they do turn, it'll be Ambrose turning heel to break up the shield. I think he could be right. I think that's the best way to go. I don't think there's any question about it. Now, the final part of our triple main event um, update on Daniel Bryan. We've talked about his potential return to the ring a lot on this podcast um, in the the preceding weeks. But now we've got some more juice to it. So. This was comments Daniel Bryan made to Sports Illustrated while recently in New York City. When asked the first opponent he'll face when he comes back, he responds, it depends on whether WWE clears me to wrestle. That will change my opponent. The way that Daniel Bryan phrased that answer would seem to indicate that he is coming back at some point, and that is a foregone conclusion that Daniel Bryan will be back. In light of Jericho versus Kenny Omega at Wrestle Kingdom, would Bryan consider jumping to New Japan to face Okada? He responded, no comment, while smiling. Asked if the comeback happens in WWE, who would he want to wrestle? He mentioned AJ Styles. That would be pretty awesome. So a lot of juice here, including his wife, Brie Bella, uh, telling Lillian Garcia on her podcast that he thinks that she thinks WWE is looking at it in terms of Daniel Bryan returning. So there's a lot of meat on the bone here. If you ask me, bet my life on it, I'm betting that Daniel Bryan's going to be back. And judging from the reaction that he gets just as the SmackDown general manager every week, I think this would be so white hot that if he gets clear, WWE would be insane not to put Daniel Bryan back in the ring and honestly back in the main event. Yeah, this felt like a, a not a when but an if. And it really feels like that where the last time we had this discussion coming off of that interview where Daniel Bryan said, I'm 85, you know, 85 percent, I'll come back. 20 percent WWE will let me back. Now look at this. He says, you know, who's who's going to be your first opponent? Well, it depends if WWE allows me. That will change my opponent. Meaning, tell me if I'm wrong, I'm going to be back there at the end of September 2018 when my contract is up. I'm going to be in some ring. If WWE pulls that trigger, it'll be there. It Maybe it'll be AJ Styles. If not, or maybe it'll be the greatest story ever told over two years with The Miz. If not, join the revolution, Nick, because there's some interesting other things out there. I was just looking at dates and, and math and saying, okay, if Daniel Bryan's contract is up at the end of September, what's going on around them? And then I go, oh, whoa, uh, Chris Jericho's cruise is less than a month later in October 2018? Hmm. What do you know about that? And then I don't know if you remember the little Twitter spat in May where Dave Meltzer basically tweeted out that Ring of Honor selling out an arena with 10,000 people in it will not happen anytime soon. Cody Rhodes somewhat playfully responded, said, I'll take that belt, that bet. Well, this reason, this week, Cody and the Young Bucks put their money where their mouth is. They toured arenas in Chicago, London, San Fran, and Ontario, California, the site of their recent Raw invasion, for a self-financed 2018 mega show that they're dubbing All In. They want to prove Meltzer wrong. They want to make further headway in this revolution. Asked this week, 
with your buddies Nick on Sirius XM Radio's Busted Open. Who's your dream opponent for this venture? Cody says Daniel Bryan. Nick, are all the stars aligning? Is the I revolution happening? Is this because obviously, as we, I've said, you need that commercial backbone, and Daniel Bryan's that guy. Um, I mean, the only way it's not in WWE is if legitimately they don't clear him to compete because they're not going to put him out there to potentially get really hurt in their ring. They're not going to take that business that business risk. So he's coming back, though. I don't think there's any question about it, whether it's in WWE or someone else. And this guy gets such an unbelievable reaction every single week still, even though he hasn't performed in the ring in a while. I, I mean, it, it really does kind of stuff the feel hole for yours truly. There's under juice everywhere. I want to see Daniel Bryan back, and I think it's going to happen, Brian. Uh, I'm going to make a statement here. And, and shout out to the – Silver King thinks Daniel Bryan's the most over guy in the entire company right now, and he might he, not – I, I, I don't know. think he's wrong. I don't think he's wrong. I'm going, to, I'm going to put that out there. Daniel Bryan coming back to WWE, and you can crap me all you want. It's going to be great. It would be great. I would not be as excited about it as Daniel Bryan crossing the street and joining the revolution. Insane. Not, not, I w- I, it's not that I'd be against it. It's not that I would try to troll you. I would obviously be there, especially if it's AJ Styles, right, or some hot feud with The Miz. But I wouldn't be as excited as Daniel Bryan basically saying, you know what, I'm going for it. I'm rolling the dice. I'm an indie guy. I'm going back to my roots. I want to be a part of making things happen. I want to see change. I think he's a different animal, Nick. I think I would be hell of a lot more fired up if he was trying to 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 make a revolution happen in all sincerity i would be fired up either way i don't want to say that i like one more than the other i think both would be awesome for for different reasons but i think that both would be really sweet oh i'll I'll say i I like one more than the other i want to see daniel bryan on my television every week i want to see daniel bryan fighting aj styles and samoa joe and brock lesnar and roman reigns and finn balor and, and braun Strowman. are you kidding me i mean sure yeah i'd love to see I would love to see Daniel Bryan and Okada. I would love to see Daniel Bryan and Kenny Omega. I just ran off a list of seven other dudes. You know, I, I can keep going. Um, Daniel Bryan, Jeff Hardy. Like, any match Daniel Bryan and WWE in front of a WWE audience on the stage WWE provides is the way to go. Guys, I think they're building towards his return, and it may just – I may just be getting – not worked, because I don't think they're built trying to fake us out here, but this Miz program has gone on, as BC just said. For two years, they've been go- they're working a program in SmackDown right now. It's been going on for six months. Like there is a lot of built-in equity that WWE has with Daniel Bryan for massive home run, explosive programs. Should he come back? If he comes back to professional wrestling and WWE is not there to take him, it's going to be a massive loss. Well, they're going to have a moral decision. I just thought it interesting. Yeah. The reason why I wanted us to mention the Brie Bella comments is she said. He's on a mission to get back into that WWE ring. So that was sort of extra interesting. Uh, he has said, I know you go, it's funny that I do watch it. I know you guys don't. The Total Bella show is not terrible just because there, there are people that we actually know and it's a decent show seeing back, you know, background behind their lives despite it. People, people that we actually know oh, is a really, really interesting like I'm not gonna watch. Like I'm not going to watch the Housewives show, but, you know, the Bellas, it's. Two hot women, and we know Daniel Bryan and John Cena. So thank you. Yes, you're a creep. Thank, thank you. You should have just said that from the start instead of people we know. You should have said I'm a creep that likes to watch hot women. Nothing wrong with that, Silver King. I was just trying to justify actually watching that show. I anyway, know, and that's okay. Point being, point being, if you do watch that show, there is no question that Daniel Bryan's focus is WWE. In my opinion, now on the internet and on interviews, yes, he does. You know, play into you know Cody Rhodes and, and going to New Japan and a mask versus hair match or you know some of the other stuff. That he's talked about. But if you watch that show and you and you listen to him in those types of environments, 
he talks WWE, how much he misses being at WrestleMania. Hey, those shows are fake. Just want to let you know it's scripted reality. I just said it was scripted and competing in the Royal Rumble and all that stuff. So I'm aware of all that. Point being, I think he knows what he has in the hand at WWE and will do anything he can to keep it. All right. If he, if he doesn't become the face of the revolution commercially, there is one guy, though, just to remind you who has experience, who's not with anybody right now. This right here is the future of wrestling. You can call this the new world order of wrestling, brother. Brother, he's he's out there. I'm just saying. You can pick him up. He's a free agent. But that's that's all. All right. And that does it for the three-part main event. And I got to give all of us credit. Um, not a lot going on in the world of wrestling this week. We made chicken salad at a you-know-what. And that takes us into the lightning round edition, Brian Campbell, of Hero. Or Hero. <laughs> Love that big dog at the end there. It's perfect. It's a nice addition. Very necessary. All right, guys, let's kick it off. Number one, we got some invading women's factions. Week two of them, the dueling invading women's factions. Absolution made their uh, names known on Monday Night Raw, and the Riot Squad with two Ts, not one, did the same on SmackDown Tuesday night. BC, what did you think of the introduction of these two factions that we you know, first learned about a week ago? I think it's the same, think... same analysis I gave you last week. One is, is pretty darn good and feels fresh and new, and I like that Paige actually explained why she's back and sort of you know regurgitated the whole I, I was part of the revolution. I started the evolution and the revolution, all that. But I think SmackDown Live, it's like, WWE, are you kidding me? This is a second-rate bootleg faction, like Silver King said, that looks exactly like the other one. It's so formulaic and paint-by-numbers, and they're so unimpressive. In what they're trying to do compared to what the three are doing on Raw, I like. Are, I'm waiting for the shoe to drop. I'm waiting for Paige to come out behind Ruby Riot and be like, "I, you know, this is my my B team that I sent in there." No, this these are unrelated things that are exactly alike. It's such a zero in that regard that I have to pretend that it's not happening on SmackDown to enjoy how good Paige is doing on Raw. I actually thought that the SmackDown three were better than the Raw three this week. And that's be only because I have higher expectations for the Raw 3. I thought the mic work by Paige and company was pretty lame on Monday. Like, the explanation was long and drawn out. And maybe that had to do with the crowd in Tennessee. And like, like you guys have said, like, it's historically not a great crowd. But the crowd reaction wasn't necessarily there. I just wasn't necessarily feeling it as much on Monday as I did last week. Maybe I'll feel differently next week. And I'm going to have an open mind as it concerns absolution. The name's whatever. I guess submission sorority was, was, was taken. <laughs> taken the, it was taken, yeah. Was, was, was not available this time. So they went with, with absolution. But look, you know, I like Paige. I like Mandy Rose. I like Sonya Deville. So I thought that was pretty good. And I like the tease that they did with Auska, even though it was pretty obvious. I thought that they weren't going to attack Auska. They teased it for a future time. So I thought that was pretty cool. But I thought the mic work, honestly, was a little weak. I thought the Riot Squad was actually pretty good on Tuesday night. Um, I like the violence that they exhibit. Look, they're not great on the microphone. The name is sort of lame. Um, and my other issue is, I know, like, Ruby Riot's gimmick is that she's, like, the punk rocker and, like, that's her deal. Her music is babyface music. Like, punk rock music is, like, babyface music. Like, if they're going to be these dastardly heels, you got to have a heel theme song. They don't have a heel theme song. They've got a babyface theme song. So I didn't like that. But I like the attack on on, uh, on Naomi and that... um in that uh, three-on-two handicap match after Natalia left. I thought it was a really inventive use of the of the steel steps to do the um, the slingshot into the steps there, um, put up against the barricade. I thought that was a pretty cool spot. And um, I will also add, ever since Naomi has ditched the um, 
like the braids in her hair and she's gone with like the long straight look. I think Naomi might be my favorite woman in the company over Alexa Bliss at this point. Yes. Yes. I think that sound effect was after right, Paul. Get, get um, out of it. Get out, please. Get, talk about teasing the okay. bag. This guy's about to, about to, this guy's about to. <laughs> um, and if Naomi is going to be off TV for a while, I just want to say that I miss her already. And that's all I've got. So I obviously agree with Nick here. I think the, uh, you know, the women on SmackDown look and work better. And maybe the ones on, I mean, on Raw look and work better. And on SmackDown, they, uh, they talk better. Michael Deppeland, one of our listeners, M. Deppeland on Twitter, sent this to me. The supporting cast on SmackDown are simply better talkers and workers. So the initial shock of the two teams being identical, that's going to wear off. And the product will have to speak for itself. Raw has the weaker backup girls. It's going to have to be all on page. So, well, but yeah, but yeah, but that's fine, though. That's fine, though, because Paige, because Paige can carry it. Absolutely. Just wanted to give him yeah, Riot a shout can't out. carry it. Riot was okay on the mic, but she can't carry that. It's not believable. You're going to get Charlotte and, you know, Becky and, and, and Natalia. It's like, come on. So let's go on to another thing that happened Monday night on Raw that we have been waiting for. Not for days, not for weeks, but for months. Really, since WrestleMania. Matt Hardy is teasing a broken future in WWE, sitting in the corner of the ring after getting beat down by Bray Wyatt with multiple delete moves with his arm, and the crowd chanted along with him, Nick, Matt Hardy's breaking. Is this a hero or zero? I mean, it's obviously a hero. Do we even need to talk about this? I mean, we've been waiting to see this for months. Um, It looks like it's finally going to happen. I can't wait to see it. It's a hero. I don't think there's anything left to add. Yeah, it's obviously a hero. The whole thing, though, is are we just going to get the full thing? Did they bite down and do a secret deal that we didn't hear about to pay for the rights, or are they just going to gamble and go for it and not care about the lawsuit? Don't water it down. Don't make it cheesy. Do it or don't do it is the bottom line. I saw a report that Hardy uh, was close to either coming to an agreement or, or filing some legal action that they thought would work. So maybe there was something there. All right, number three here, guys. Mojo Rawley turned on Zack Ryder. It took nine months to happen, but it finally did. The hype rows are over. It was a second squash uh, in a loss to the Bludgeon Brothers that kind of did that team in. BC, are you happy to see these guys splitting up finally? You know it. I mean, that's my answer. Look, the, I like when mid-card or lower mid-card guys or storylines get an actual story. Let these guys feud for a while together. There's history there. Just so happens, Zack Ryder's my favorite superstar. It's, you, know, you can't pick the ones you love. It's the way it is. But Mojo won this segment and carried it. So me, I fall in love sometimes with these lower mid guys that are never going to get over. You got juice here, right? Spread the juice around. Put it in Dixie Cup. Let's do it, Nick. It's a hero. Uh, agree completely. It's a hero. Let's do something with these guys. I agree 100%. Thought Mojo was pretty decent backstage, right, guys? In that uh, quick little segment. Oh, uh, you mean when when he when he said one thing and then walked away? Yes, it's 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 hard to be bad when you only say one thing and then walk away. I don't know. I thought he showed a little more character than he had, just being a happy, giggly, you know, hype guy for the last, uh, you know, his. I mean, he, he had a scowl on his face, and he said, like Zach said, the landscape has changed, and then he walked away. I don't. Fair. I didn't think this was this was like uh, this like Marlon Brando and The Godfather. <laughs> Fair enough. On the Ross report recently, uh, Batista was on. He's now forty-eight years old. And he actually told JR that he's interested not just in showing up in WWE and running a quick program, but in a full time return, including, quote unquote, some house shows. Nick, what do you think about that? Hero or zero? Um, I mean, it's OK. I mean, I just don't want to see Batista with the title. And this is where Vince can't help himself, kind of, because Batista is a movie star. Right. Like, and I'm going to be honest. I love the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. I saw both of them. I laughed my ass off at both. Batista was the funniest guy in both of those movies. He was great. And I think he's a pretty good actor. And I'm being sincere when I say that. 
So I feel like Vince might fall victim to, we have a movie star here, let's push him to the moon because it's going to bring us mainstream coverage. The last time that happened, the fans revolted to such a degree that Daniel Bryan won the belt at WrestleMania 30 in the main event when it was supposed to be Batista going over Randy Orton. So if Batista comes back and he's like an upper mid-card face or heel, I'm with it. I just don't want to see Batista with the strap. And remember the last time we saw Batista, he came out in the wheelchair and did the I quit thing, and it was pretty funny. The guy's got a ton of charisma. He's a decent worker. He's got a great look. I, I would not hate Batista coming back. I just don't want to see him with the belt. I I've always been a big Batista guy. I even loved when he was Batista and was wearing the tight outfits like it was something to watch. It was good. He did part of that interview. He gave a quote where he said he really wants the program to be with Triple H, though. That doesn't move me. Unless Batista's coming back and they're going to write in as part of his character some of the issues he's had with WWE in the past, and he's it turns into a really juicy trash talk war with Hunter, I don't... I think we're worn out on seeing Triple H be the guy who gets in there with the returning veteran. Like, you know, like, it was, it was fine with Sting. I don't need to see it with Kurt Angle if that's where they're going, and I don't need to see this with Batista. Put him in there with somebody who can bounce off of him. Like, let's use that. Let's use his size and his muscle. All right, guys, number five here. So with KO and Sami Zayn, with that storyline kind of going nowhere on SmackDown, and with the Braun Strowman Kane thing kind of going nowhere on Raw, I think this is a good time for us to talk about WWE's trimmed-down pay-per-view plans, not just for this winter, but going all the way through into 2018. We're three weeks away, still, from another SmackDown pay-per-view on December 17th. We're two months away from the next dual-brand pay-per-view, that's the Royal Rumble, on January 28th. And we're three months away from the next Raw exclusive show. And that's Elimination Chamber, as Nick mentioned earlier, on February 28th. So, BC, hero or zero on WWE scaling back their shows entering WrestleMania season and overall in 2018? Well, it's a loaded question because I feel like they were doing too many pay-per-views. So on the all or nothing scale, they were going too heavy on all. And there were weeks where they would creep up on you because you're doing twice a month. And you're like, wow, there's another pay-per-view already. They didn't feel big. So the opposite of that is closer to the original 80s model, right, of stretching it out and having longer builds and longer storylines and really putting time and attention to detail on them to get there. That would be a welcome change. Uh, but what we're seeing the past few weeks, I don't believe they will do that. I believe by eliminating these pay-per-views, there's too much potential for them to mail in a lot of these Raws and SmackDowns to get there. If that's the result then it's a zero, right? It's gotta, it, there's got to be a middle ground. It can't be all or nothing, WWE. If you're going to pull back, then you got to step up the creativity in the meantime. So I'd like to see less shows, but not if it sacrifices. Uh, I mean, you said exactly what I was going to say. It depends entirely on how they book it. If they book it well, it's going to be awesome. If they book it poorly, it's going to be a disaster. That sounds simple, but it's actually it's 100% the truth, and you really can't give an, an answer other than that, I will disagree, Silver King, with the way you editorialized the question. I do think the Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn storyline is going somewhere. I just think it's a slow burn at this point. So I, I disagreed with that assessment. I got to be what with you... him because right now. I'm bored, brother. All right. <laughs> oh, my God. Very, very <laughs> Let me ask you this. Well, that's well, that's that is the best sound effect that we've ever played on the show. <laughs> that is awesome. It, 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 is really, it, it is really good. Let me ask you guys this follow up question, even though this is lightning round to hero or zero. So if because we, we got to go. So bring something else up. OK, go ahead. If yeah. WWE uh, scales back this many pay-per-views, which we didn't necessarily get to, they're pulling back a lot in 2018. Right. If they threw on four network specials, Nick, they give us a live MSG house show. They yes, give us yes, Silver King. Yes, we talk about this all the time. Yes, I know that you like to die on the on, on this on this hill. A hundred percent. I would like to see more things on the network. Yes, Brian, you agree? 
Yeah, bring back Silver King's King of the Ring. Let's make it happen. Let's bring out oh, the Cruiserweight Classic. Come on. It's not even a question. Of course, everyone would like Blow to Blow up 205 no Live. Make it the Cruiserweight Classic. Thank you. you fi- I fixed All it. All right, Brian. Brian, we've got the Jim Ross interview coming up next here, so tell the fans what we're about to listen to. Yeah, look, you know, when you get a chance to this many minutes with a Hall of Famer like Jim Ross with that much history, he's got a new book out. We're going to talk about it. You just roll out the balls and let the man speak. So here it is. Enjoy. The In This Corner podcast on CBS Sports. Very excited to welcome in WWE Hall of Famer Jim Ross. New book out there, Slobberknocker, My Life in Wrestling. And Jim, I'm excited to talk to you because I was so excited to get my hands on this book and read it. Because you go national in your career, really the same time me and a lot of, you know, a lot of wrestling fans my age start to get into wrestling and being growing up into Connecticut I had was lucky enough to be able to really see every major promotion come through my TV so this book to me is a lot like the inside story of my fandom while also telling the tale of your career how excited are you to, to get this out there and, and to tell the inside details of what has been such a legendary run well you know considering that uh, after my wife died got killed in a, in a accident in the, on the coming home from the gym on her little Vespa. She got ran over. Uh, I really, uh, Brian, hesitated to finish the book. I just had kind of lost my fire. And uh, the, she's such a big part of the story. You know, I met her, Rick Flair and I were on a flight, the whole story, and, and uh, you know, I think we're both hitting on her. But nonetheless, <laughs> uh, as it worked out, I was married and with her for tw- almost 25 years. So uh, challenging to finish. Well, I remember my dad told me a story. I remember reminding myself of a story my dad told me, and that was very simple and very quickly. This: I was in the ninth grade and uh, playing on the varsity football team in my little high school in Oklahoma, and also on the ninth grade team. So I was playing two games a week. My mother would playfully say, "I'm getting really this washing two uniforms every week is getting old." So, I, so I'm thinking, well, I'll, I, I got to, I got to address this matter. So. I, I perceived I was this great five-star recruit at age 15 with no driver's license. And I told my dad, I think I'm going to quit the, quit the uh, ninth grade team. So he said, you're, you're making a decision to quit on your buddies that you went to school with, rode the bus with, your coaches that brought your fat ass along, and, and you're going to just play for the varsity like a big shot. So I want to help you. I said, Sonny, you're going you're to quit the varsity too. You're, you're actually, you're not gonna, if you're going to quit on one guy, you'll quit on another. So I want to help you with the embarrassment. If you quit on the ninth graders, you're not going to play football. And I love football more than anything. And uh, he told me this, Brian. My dad said, quitting is the easiest thing in the world to get good at. And I thought that through for about, you know, a nanosecond. And I ended up playing the rest of the season with both teams. But the point is, that thought from my dad when I was 15 years old, that's 50 years ago came in my head so vividly. I could, understand, I could hear his voice. And it was that quitting's the easiest thing in the world to get good at. So I just come hell or high water, I'm not going to quit. And I'm so thankful that we finished it because the book's getting ready to go into a fourth publishing. It's been out since October the 18th. So it's exceeded everybody's expectations, I can proudly say. Well, you just laid out kind of the cool part. Like, it's not just the wrestling history that I think is the hook for a lot of people it's a book about life and challenges and lessons learned and it you know it all started for you on the as an only file child on a farm in Oklahoma in a small house without plumbing and it's like this is Americana at its finest and that gritty start for you certainly played an important part in shaping 
you know, the man, the, the sports entertainer you became in, in this business. And how specifically do you think that childhood prepared you for how crazy demanding this run you had in such a crazy demanding business for really crazy and demanding people? How important were those basic life lessons and some of the harsh realities you went through to, to really set the stage for that? Uh, I think it was a essential preparation. I don't know if I could have been on this journey and, and be talking to you today if I hadn't had a mom and a dad both in, in the home. Uh, I think that's a big issue today that's oftentimes overlooked or, or, or whispered that, you know, uh, children of divorced parents that don't have both those parents in their life. It's, it's not a mortal sin to be divorced. However, it is a sin to not uh, give your children, divorced or not, all the attention and guidance and mentoring leadership that they need. And a lot of a lot of fathers are not in the home right now, and I think that's an issue of why many football players and athletes in general act out and act like idiots. Uh, I don't think that's good. And uh, But nonetheless, uh, my mom and dad were strong in the house. Uh, the other thing, Brian, I had two grand, I had grandparents. Both of my grandparents right. were alive on both sides of the family. Uh, and so that was huge for me because my grandfather – on both sides were just different as night and day, but boy, they could tell great stories. Uh, they both had great sense of humor, uh, and they loved to, to spin the yarn, as they say. And I'm sure that part of my storytelling came from those guys doing our fishing trips or going hunting or whatever, or just sitting around the front porch after, after lunch. You know, it, it kind of made you timeless, Jim. Like there's such a relatable, maybe not relatable, but, but, uh, an easy yoke to listening to you call matches and to begin to feel like we hey we know good old Jr. I mean that's got to be a big a part of the big secret to your success. I think it is. I think uh, I don't really know how I got there. Uh, I was I never played the role of a broadcaster because I really didn't know what a broadcaster was supposed to be or how, how they're supposed to act or anything along those lines. So uh, I I just think that you know the. My whole, just a regular guy. And I look, chubby guys with an Oklahoma accent raised on that farm you're talking about as an only child. And then then to be saddled with three bouts of facial paralysis called Bell's palsy, which is why I don't smile. I can't. I wish I could. Uh, but, you know, uh, it's just a, I, I don't think I could change anything. It was, I, I made this unlikely journey. In a friendly, mo- I got into a friendly mafia, so to speak, and I worked in. The, I got to be in the territory era. I, I got in touch. I got to be around all the greats that preceded me in the, the '70s, the Lupes, the Buddy Rogers, all those guys I met. Uh, you know that kind of thing. It was, it was a real cool gig, and it's still good. You know, I'm still. I, I'm not going to die of uh, rust. I can promise you. Absolutely. You know, through that journey and run, you you really lay out in the book. You know, a lot of the lessons you learn from some of these characters you work for, from Cowboy Bill Watts, Leroy McGurk, all the way, obviously, through Vince McMahon. Harsh, competitive, sometimes ruthless, demanding characters. What are some of the biggest things you learned from them that still drive you today? That you can't be successful in any uh, phase of the wrestling business if you don't totally understand it, because there's a whole lot more to it than what people see on television, you know, the grunting and groaning and all it's fake and it's predetermined endings and all that stuff is so obvious and that's been around that sentiment and that information has been around for years and years, but 
seemingly uh, a lot of guys don't want to. They almost it's like being fat shamed. They uh, they 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 all all of us wrestling fans. Anybody listening will say, yeah, he's right about that one. We've been teased about being a fan. Oh, you watch that stuff? What the hell's wrong with you? You know, that stuff's fake. Blah blah blah. And they missed the whole point. And so I I got around guys that allowed me to earn their respect in a, vari- in a variety of areas. And I realized early on, because I'm the most unlikely guy that has ever had a 40-year career in pro wrestling, ever, that I had to be versatile. Uh, and I had to be someone that came to work with more tools, with as, with as many tools in the toolbox as I could pack. And so that's, I learned to, I worked in television syndication and marketing and event promotion. I was on the ring crew. I was a referee. I was a ring announcer. I've booked cards. I've negotiated contracts. All those things, I worked with those guys, were got me there. And so I, uh, and I did it, and it didn't come without a price. You know, I, I wasn't a good husband two times. I wasn't a good father early on. Uh, my job was the most important thing in my life when it wasn't, but I thought it was. And, uh, you know, I do the same thing a lot of guys do. You get caught up in the, your ego and your, uh, you, you want to be great at what you do. And you're already in a business that people don't respect at, at times. So it's a, it's a real iron uh, catch-22 thing, uh, I'll, be, I'll be honest with you, mm-hmm. how the, this business kind of treats you kind of rough. But it's show business. It's professional sports in essence. All that stuff has, has those common denominators. Your shelf life is short. And it's all about what did you do for me lately, no matter who it is. And so uh, my old man kept taught me lessons that, if you read the book, you know several lessons he taught me that were kind of stiff and kind of brutal. But uh, I guarantee you, I didn't make the second mistake twice, ever. So uh, that was was big for me. My dad prepared me for Bill Watts. And the combination of my dad and Bill Watts prepared me uh, to work for Vince. Yeah. And it, I had never had any issues with any of those guys because that's what I, I, I reacted to best uh, is a strong leader, uh, unlike our president. No, I, I, that, that's a interesting lineage there and, and did set you up perfectly. And then when you get down to the end with Vince McMahon, you've had – you know, hirings and firings. We, we've heard a lot of the stories. They're, they're detailed in the book, the, the good and bad of working with Vince McMahon. Was there ever one time above all when, when you had a, a bad stretch, a bad spat, or you lost your job temporarily where you thought that was it? Like, you may never cross paths again. We may never repair this. Well, I don't know that. I always thought when I left, uh, it was, they were for very valid reasons. And until the last, you know, 10 years or so, when I started maturing a bit, I uh, I did I, I finally re- accepted my share of the responsibility, and knowing what I how I conducted myself uh, when I didn't uh, when my decisions were questioned or my judgment was questioned, uh, how I reacted to that was not real professional, and I would not have tolerated it. Uh, I can also tell you that there's a letter in the book, uh, Slobberknocker, my life in wrestling that Vince McMahon had hand-delivered to my home in Connecticut. Uh, and when I was in deep depression from that second bout of Bell's palsy, I, it was a real, it was really a, a, a dandy. It was on the other side of my face. I, we had no idea why these things were coming and going, and I've never healed from them. But uh, he sent me a letter, and it's in the book. And that was probably the shows, can show the world the real Vince. 
and how he cares about and how he takes care of the people he cares for. Uh, so I I would not be in the financial position I am today. Uh, writing, I've, I've had two New York Times best-selling books. Hopefully this will be the third one. All those opportunities came thanks to my relationship with uh, WWE. And, yeah, it's like it's like marriages, man. It's like a relationship. I have a, I have a relationship today with Vince. And, uh, you know, we communicate, uh, I'd say, very regularly. And, you know, text messages, the best way for us to talk, because he's on the run, I'm on the run, but we, I get I get to him that way, and he responds very quickly. And, and uh, so and I enjoy that with him, still that we can share ideas and philosophies. So uh, a lot of that stuff is is a little bit uh, overblown in my view. Uh, has he yelled at me on the headset? Sure he has. My dad's yelled at me across the table at supper. Right. What the hell? I'm okay. You know, yelling, it's just, I tell you, this this kid that killed my wife in his car, this, here's the deal. I was raised with discipline and accountability, learning life's lessons. This book identifies that, that the common guy can identify with. I wasn't a world-class athlete. I didn't have a cousin or a brother or a sister or anything like that in the wrestling business. I had no idea how I got it. I know how I got in it, but I know how I stayed. And I'm still, still working on that answer. But, man, I'll tell you, it's uh, the kid that killed my wife, he didn't even go to jail. He's 17. I don't know what we teach our youth, but I don't know how this is gonna, he's going to learn any lessons from this thing. So I'm not going to soapbox on that, but my point is, you know, uh, I was really raised with, with respect, having respect, and I think there's, there's a little bit less of that than should be these days. And I think some of our problems for athletes and others, including our own Baker Mayfield, uh, are, are making bad mistakes from time to time. Uh, it's just a matter of self-discipline. And they, they've got to harness it somehow, some way. And uh, I haven't known his mom and dad are great parents, but mm-hmm. shoot. Uh, it, it's, it's the way kids are. It's their influences. And they feel so defiant. It's why they're heel fans. When I first got the wrestling business, they were, I'm sure when he first started watching, heel fans were rare. Now they're commonplace. They feel, they feel edgy and going against the establishment, which seems to be very, very important to that, that millennial age group, uh, to be different and defiant. So I, they're, they're not being defiant for a cause. They're being defiant because they want to. No, absolutely there. And, and I like how you said, you know, in, in the lineage of looking back on some of the spats, you've grown a lot. How much, how much do you think Vince has changed over the years, and how is that affecting your relationship today? Oh, it's great. I, I don't. I really believe this. And people are going to say, "Oh, Jr. just kissing Vince's ass," and they can say what they want. I, what do I care? Uh, uh, I care, but you know, I can't do anything about it. So if I can't do anything about things, I don't. I generally don't care a lot about them. <laughs> uh, but he's he's great. Uh, and here's the, here's how I know these things. You know, as we mentioned, and you know, if I had a challenging year personally with my wife getting killed unnecessarily about thirty seconds from where I'm, from where I'm sitting right now in my home in Norman, uh, and he was the first, he was, he was the first to the post, man. Wow. It wasn't a matter of, you know, it, there, it was basically, you tell me what you need and you'll have it. So I, I actually didn't have to have anything. I mean, I, I handled all of it myself, but if I needed a, an attorney or I needed money or I needed him to, if I needed to, to have somebody here with me to help me get through it, that would have all happened. So when you're when you're at your when your back's against the coldest door, you really find out who's going to step up and be your and still your friend, 
or those that kind of want to wash their hands of because, you know, they don't want to, they feel awkward of uh, knowing how to act around a grieving person. And my suggestion is always going to be act normal because uh, there ain't no damn, ain't no manual about on day 88 you're supposed to do this if you're in mourning. I, I ain't seen that book yet. So it's tough, but he was great to me this year and has been great to me a lot of years, mm-hmm. uh, frankly. So I, I just, I had a change of heart about a lot of things. I was a, I was too damn headstrong. I was very set on my ways. I felt my, I felt like my philosophy was the best, and I didn't want to hear yours. Now, here's how I am. I still think my philosophy is the best, but I'm very willing to listen to yours, and I'm even more willing to change my mind if so moved. That wasn't the case in the old days. My way or the highway, and that was, you know, I, I. I don't, I'm not pleased with that management technique. No doubt. Yeah, yeah. I can totally see that. And and you did mention in that, you know, the letter you got from Vince ahead of that second, during that second bout with Bell's palsy. And a big part of the book, which is really touching, is the emotional journey you had as as an announcer, as a real life person, heading into WrestleMania 15 in 1999 when you made your return, Austin versus Rock, a big card, a much bigger for you personally and what you went through. How you talked about how nervous you were about your performance, about how the fans would accept you. How unique was that experience for you to any other in your broadcasting career, pro wrestling or not, for what you were battling just to get into that booth? Well, ego wise and uh, professionally, you know, when you get in the wrestling business, you, you learn not to sell anything. Uh, you learn that uh, you learn that the uh, the squeaky wheel oftentimes gets grease right out the door uh, if there's too much squeak. So the thing I wanted to do for my my uh, upbringing in the business was not show any weakness. Other than my face was going to be weak. I got that. Uh, but I didn't want my peers, I didn't want the fans to look at me with a, uh, where I was, you know, uh, poor JR. Uh, I, I, can't do, I can't deal with that. And I won't feel sorry for myself. Uh, so... I had to get, I got through it, I think, fine, but I went in basically thinking, anybody goes back and watches that tape of me coming to the ring uh, and tipping my hat to Michael Cole midway in the, in the, in the uh, entranceway, can know this, I was, I was faking it big time. I, it was a good thing I was very black, as they say. And it was a good thing that uh, I didn't break down. And I was just very scared about, I couldn't, I had I had to hold my face up to announce words, to enunciate words, and uh, you know, just and that's the biggest match for two guys that I love and the two guys I hired and I, I brought in, and Steve and and, uh, and and Dwayne, and they're both great friends today. So it was a big thing for me. And here's the bottom line: I felt like I really felt like that I was done. There's no way in hell that a, on HD television, with I already got the accent issue, that seems to be an issue with some. My look is not very attractive, if it ever was, and uh, so anyway, I just, I just, uh, I battled thinking I could do this, and I want to do it anymore. I'll be done. My journey is over, and thank God that didn't work out that way. I didn't. I was very pessimistic and negative, and uh, then I got the, I got the itch again, <laughs> and I got competitive again, and I wanted my job back. And I was going to get back in my chair and and rock and roll and 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 have several good years after that. 
Yeah, no, no question about it. I, I love the journey in the book of your run with WCW because, you know, it's a big part of my fandom. You know, growing up so close to WWF, I, I tended to prefer when it was at its best, whether it's Jim Crockett Promotions and NWA or WCW, that product back then because it felt raw. It felt real. It felt like a shoe at times, sometimes compared to, you know, more of the cartoon product we saw with WWF back then. We have this debate on our podcast a lot of when in history, and I'm not talking about ratings, I'm talking more about the quality of content, when in history was WCW maybe a better product than WWE? You were along that journey. Do you have any specific stretches or years when you would say outright that was a better product than what was going on in Stanford? It's really hard to say, uh, and I, I don't know what criteria we use. It's just personal preference, obviously, in this question, but I thought that... Uh, in the late 80s, early 90s, that our product in the ring was really, really good. Uh, and, and a lot of that was because of Ric Flair and Dusty Rhodes and uh, Sting, Ricky Steamboat. Steamboat and Flair had those three matches in 89 that I had the privilege of calling with three different guys, Magnum T.A., Terry Funk, and Bob Cottle. Uh, and... Those three matches were probably the, I don't think I ever called a better trilogy ever. And I i called, uh, this year I called uh, Okada and Omega in New Japan, three of their matches for Access TV, which I do on Friday nights. And uh, and that was, were they, were they good? They were outstanding. They were better than good. But I don't know that they blew away that 89 stuff. Mm. And maybe the difference for me was because I was actually at ringside, live, live, no net, no voiceover, uh, you know, and for the flare and steamboat stuff. But going back and looking at it, they told such beautiful stories. They laid their stuff in. They enjoyed chopping each other as hard as they possibly could. Uh, they, they both sold. They both allowed the viewer to have time to process what they're seeing. And then they made great, great music that we were able to our best to put a nice lyric to. Uh, so we, we added the lyrics and they provided the music and hopefully it came out nice. So I think that late 80 period, early 90s, and there may be other times too. Heck, I don't know. But I, I know that period of time for any company, I don't care if it's New Japan or All Japan or WWF at the time or WWE, whatever, uh, we had a real good product that was very physically based, physicality based, uh, and very uh, raw and aggressive, a lot of blood, a lot of violence, and I don't know that that's the answer to all ills, but nonetheless, the talents have made it different. The talent embraced that presentation, and so the guys we had playing were really good in our system, our dusty system at that point. No question. I, I love that you gave that answer because I agree. I think that early, you know, 89 was a phenomenal year, like you mentioned, but that stretch all the way through 91, 92, 93, you could say was as good or better, you know, of the best stuff going on in the world. No question. Jim, my, a lot of, sometimes people say, you know, what's your, what's your dream announcer pairing? And I always go, the two best I've ever seen, and I wish they had been together more, Jim Ross and Jesse Ventura. And you did have that brief stretch in when Jesse came over to WCW in 1992, and you wrote in your book that maybe the announce team didn't accomplish what it could have, and maybe you were honest and said that was your fault. 
Can you expand on that? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, I'm just being honest on my opinion of that matter. Uh, I uh, didn't invest the time or the effort to develop a better working relationship with Jesse. Uh, I was the VP of broadcasting at that time for the company, and I was making about half the money he was making, and I was working all the shows and coming to the office every day. And so my own ego and my own insecurities, you know, entertainment business, you know, what did you do for me today? And I'm uh, always fighting through that. Uh, that's before I had Bell's Palsy. So I was, I was only dealing then with a round face and a southern accent. Uh, but I, I was jealous, bottom line. I don't know how you put it any other way. I was, I was uh, jealous, and I uh, am not proud of how I conducted myself based on how much better it could have been. We should have been off the page. We should have been really, really good. And I have people call or text me or, uh, or, or hit me on Twitter, uh, JR's BBQ, and say, uh, well, I thought you guys were great. Well, thank you, but we weren't nearly as good as we could have been if I would have been uh, uh, more professional. So uh, I, that's, a, that's a regret of mine. I don't have many, but I wish I had put more effort and professionalism in my uh, pairing with Jesse and not based it on my feelings and my income. I should have done my job, made him, enhanced him as I tried to do, do it better, and then I should have aired my grievances with the head of the department and not given him the cold shoulder. So I learned a lesson from it, and I going forward, I never had any issues that I can recall with any partners. You know, I had a little run-in with Randy Savage at one time, and, and but that wasn't over-announcing. It was over something else and producing and stuff. And, but, you know, Jesse was good. And I, Jesse, was, Jesse was a lot like uh, Jerry Lawler in that his natural instincts were tremendous. Mm. And his uh, ability to communicate and process very quickly what he saw was just absolutely excellent. And I found out on either of those guys – if I tried to upper hand them or strong arm them into preparing more, read these notes, get here, I'll send you some notes, blah, 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 they, uh, they weren't comfortable with that. And so I learned with, with Jerry early on that he didn't like that, so I didn't ever, we, we were done with that. So, and we had some great broadcasts and kicked some ass because I was the point guard and got him the ball. And he was better freelancing than he was being structured. And Jesse was a lot like that. I just didn't realize that. Uh, at, at, at the key time, and uh, I wish I had it. So, yeah, that's – hey, you, my wife said when I was writing this book, she said, the only thing I think you should be in this book is honest. honest. And uh, and she helped me uh, either take – we didn't eliminate any stories. I, I want to talk about my prescription medication use, uh, abuse, not use, abuse. And uh, nobody ever talked – I never talked to anybody about that. That was never discussed public, they never made the papers, saw that, never hit TMZ or whatever, mm-hmm. nothing. But I think that I can help people with some of my adventures and misadventures in this book that, you know, hey, you can get knocked on your ass, but you just got to get back up. You have to get back up. There's no option. You have to get back up. And I have done that time and time again to where now, man, I hit the ground, I'm back up. I want to get back up, get back in the game. So, uh, and I think my story is sure, more, is sure as hell more identifiable than some of the rest of the stories, because most folks reading it can't identify with the muscular, athletic, 
you know, professional sports entertainer. They can dentistry, uh, identify with me. I'm just a regular guy. So with a, with a very unique trip, a new unique journey. So, And the nice thing about it, it's not over. No, no question. I mean, it's such an honest portrayal in this interview. There's such an honest portrayal in this book, Slobberknocker, My Life in Wrestling. It's been a joy to read it and talk to you. And, Jim, on the way out, one more question. You are in such a unique spot. We mentioned it earlier. You're under contract with WWE and, and doing some great stuff from when we saw you in the U.K. tournament to, to coming back and calling Roman Reigns Undertaker at WrestleMania. You're also calling NJPW matches for Access TV, and they're going through a huge boom with Kenny Omega as the face of it. It, it probably wouldn't happen from a financial standpoint because WWE is so far and ahead the number one in the world. But from a critical standpoint in attracting new wrestling fans, what's the potential or the ceiling or the limit in what guys like Omega and Okada and now Chris Jericho coming in for at least one night can do in terms of creating real competition that may push WWE to react creatively? Well, interesting question. Uh, I look at, uh, well, first of all, there's no way that I would be extending my contract with Access TV, and that's who my contract's with. I work for Access TV. I work for Mark Cuban. Uh, there would be no way that that would have been possible after this contract I'm currently on expires if it hadn't been for Vince McMahon. He said, oh, go for it. I like doing it. I like the money. I like the practice. I like the people I work with. We had Access TV. They're great folks. I enjoy the product. It's a little bit of a throwback to a uh, kind of an NWA-ish, more physicality-oriented uh, product. Uh, but they have a different presentation. And so my point is is that some people believe that WWE is is better than New Japan, and some people believe the other side of the coin. That's a personal deal. Uh, I believe I, 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 I check the box of who's making the most money, who, who's paying their talent the most, where are the opportunities for the, for the guys and the gals. And nobody can say that anybody in the world's ever done more for, the, for women's wrestling than WWE's doing right now. It's amazing. They bought they bought more girls up recently, more ladies. Mm -hmm. I'm old, so the more more young women up uh, lately. Lately, and uh, I've fought that. But I don't know. I the infrastructure for for New Japan to be as big as they want to be, they got to do a whole heck of a lot of growing in North America, and that is a process. Certainly not an overnight fix. So it's hard to say where they're going to go in the future. Uh, it's interesting that they have so many non-Japanese uh, talents that are, that are being figured in and as key roles. So they're go undergoing some different, some change and evolution. So I'm not sure where they're going. Uh, their style is uh, not as conducive to the long-term shelf life uh, as some companies. Uh, but I enjoy what they do. So I look at they they. It's like this. I'm like I said earlier, but a football guy. It's like WWE runs a, uh, a a running run first, pass second offense, and New Japan runs a four wide receiver, quarterback and a shotgun and a pistol every down. It's a different philosophy, it's a different approach. I don't know if one is really better than the other. I like both of them personally, and I see matches in both companies that I wish I hadn't watched. So everybody can I've, – hey, I've announced matches. I've tried to listen to back. I didn't want to hear myself. 
So uh, I just think they both have a really unique, different product. And I think that the, as time goes on, both companies are going to be smart enough to look at their key indicators and their target demographic and then adjust their product accordingly if they feel it needs it. So uh, but I say this all the time in my podcast. You know, I, I've, I've had this podcast for about almost 200 episodes, uh, the Ross Report, and I, I say this all the time, and I really mean it. There's never been a greater time to be a fan. There's never been a greater time to be in the business of pro wrestling than right now. And I really, really believe that. Yeah, uh, that you just summed it up perfectly. It's it's really a a, go, a new golden era, a revolution, whatever you know adjectives you want to describe it. But Jim Ross, the book again, Slobberknocker, My Life in Wrestling. Thank you so much for being gracious with your time and and, and telling some stories with us and and getting the word out for what really is a you know a fun read and a, and a historical one as well uh, to to really break down what has been such a great run. Thanks so much, Jim. I appreciate you, buddy. I appreciate you reading the book and, and sending folks to Barnes and Noble and Amazon. You're the best. Absolutely. Great talking to you. Well, Nick, pretty interesting stuff there from Jim Ross. Quick little takeaways, though. I like how personally he kind of put it on himself for how many times he got fired by Vince. I think historically we're always like Vince is so crazy and quick to the trigger. It's Ross who's basically saying no. Like in hindsight, that was my fault. I was too controlling. I was too emotional. I was too hard headed. That was pretty interesting. And to me, like the most interesting thing was when he said WCW better from 88 to 92. Um, than WWE. I might have to go back and look. I might do this actually when when we're in the football offseason. I've got some more free time. I might go on the network and watch a lot of the WCW stuff from that era because I will acknowledge, like I've always said WWE was better. That's more like like NWO era because like I never felt that WCW was better. Like maybe like for a couple months in 1996 when the NWO was first starting with Hall and Nash even before Hogan came and maybe a couple months after Hogan turned to Bash of the Beach 96. I may go back 88 to 92 and watch some of that stuff, Bri. Um, I mean, it's, pre- it's, you know, it's preference-related, but, you know, I come from that era, and I think he's right. And I think WWE in the late 80s, I thought the Zeus angle was the turning point where it went so far into, you know, comic book where it was just ridiculous that the alternative at that time was a bloody, real shoot-like, you know, promotion what WCW was doing. And I think he's certainly right once they turn the corner on the decade. 91-92, I've always preferred WCW, so I'm with him on that. He said something interesting towards the end there, um, which I think is really a good comment for NJPW uh, supporters to really, you know, take into account. He said, look, there's a lot of great stuff in NJPW. There's a lot of great stuff in WWE, but there's a lot of crap in both. And I thought that was extremely interesting coming from someone who calls that product and watches it on a weekly basis. All right, let's try and end this in the next couple of minutes here. In the field spot, Brian Campbell, go. I think it's pretty easy. They had the Starcade card in Greensboro, North Carolina over the weekend. Had some one of some of our listeners were there and giving us updates. Pretty decent show, but you got the nostalgic feels from guys like Steamboat and Flair there, and you got Arn Anderson delivering a sick spine buster on Dolph Ziggler after his match with Bobby Roode, which I've been told, Derek Zhu, shout out to you, that that was the match of the night. Guys, did you see Double A, lift up Ziggs and drive him home like it was 1988. I mean, come on. That was fantastic right in the field spot. Yeah, that was great. Uh, Kevin Owens 365, uh, WWE aired it this week. This is a different type of field spot. It's not a great field spot. It's like a knot in the stomach one. Um, Has that match with Chris Jericho at WrestleMania 33. I really enjoyed it. I loved the, the finger on the rope, everything. It was great. Comes back into Gorilla, says, Vince, how'd I do? Or, Or was I good out there? Vince looks at him, says, no. And you see KO's face just drop. 
And it was a feel spot because that's behind the scenes wrestling. Like that's that's what you want. That's the interaction that you kind of want to see as a fan. You want to know like what really happens when when they go out and think they do a great match and then are told that it wasn't so good. And KO's standing there like, can you give me more? I didn't watch that. Vince told him straight up it wasn't good because Nick said on our show last week that match wasn't good. It wasn't. I mean, this is not reinventing the wheel to have that take. We were there. The match wasn't good, right? Vince literally turns to him with the headset on, and and KO's like, hey, Vince, did I do a good job out there? And he's like, no. And then KO's standing there waiting to hear more or, like, for someone to tell him something, like, Triple H to pat him on the shoulder. Nothing happens. He's just but like the match was garbage, and it's not just Owen's fault. It's Jericho's fault too. Like both of them got to yeah. take a hit for it. That match wasn't. Look, it wasn't garbage. We were just expecting a lot more, and we didn't get it. It fair? was just. It was not. In the, yeah, that's very fair. It was. Just it was not, a blah. It was a blah. Nothing match. So. But yeah, if, that, mean, if if you haven't seen the three sixty five, it's actually decently short. And that moment was like, whoa. You know, and, you, know and, you know what these guys go through. And my feel spot. Um, I want to give a lot of credit to the Raw announce team. I love Michael Cole gets banged on a lot. And for good reason in the past, he's doing a fantastic job as the straight man on this announced team. And I love the Raw announced team. And I actually don't mind the SmackDown announced team either. I don't love Tom Phillips, but I like, I, I love Michael Cole. I don't think Tom Phillips is awful. I just think he's got some growing to do. And that'll come in time. He hasn't been doing the job for a long time. It's not a career moratorium on him. But Michael Cole is doing such a good job as the straight man on Raw. And I love the Corey Graves, Booker T rapport and relationship. Booker T so funny killing Jason Jordan on Monday Night Raw. The lines that he has is killing Jason Jordan like you don't deserve to be in this role. You're talking like like you're a superstar. You're not one. It's just very funny. And I found myself laughing out loud at Booker T and Corey Graves going back and forth. It just goes to show that a good announce team and a good repartee at that table can really elevate a match, superstars, and segments. So bravo to those three for the job that they that, did. That's a great feel spot because it's so on point. Because Booker T's off the rails, because he's not following script and he's almost saying something negative to the product, he's become one of the best parts of Raw. One of our listeners at Matt Glaze DM'd in with exactly the same thing, saying, am I crazy? No, Matt, you're not crazy. Nick just hit you right in the feel spot with that. Booker T's on fire right now. Better than our guy Atunga, who just got broken up with with Jennifer Hudson, right, in the restraining order and all that. Wow, wow. Love that. That's Wally Pips. And that does it for this week's edition of In This Corner, the pro wrestling edition with the Brian Campbell. So for the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, I am handsome Nick Costos, BC. Two words to take us into next week. Goodbye and good night, man. We out.